This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by the Top Producer Summit, held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics. All at the 2024 Top Producer Summit in Kansas City. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. I think you'll enjoy this week's broadcast. I know I enjoyed talking with these two individuals about practical, down-to-earth ways we can be a better leader, no matter whether we are the boss of a large business or at the lower rungs of an organization. We all have ways to make a positive impact, and as a sidelight, you'll love the accent of our first guest. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by the 2024 Top Producer Summit. I'm a farmer that likes to learn, and there are a lot of options out there, both online and in person, to gain knowledge on all kinds of topics that impact agriculture and beyond. One place I'll be this winter to grow and learn is the Top Producer Summit, February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Each year, you can count on the Top Producer Summit to bring together some of the nation's and world's top farmers and ag leaders to discuss, share, and learn from one another. It's a jam-packed schedule with topics of interest for just about everyone. And with a location central in the country, it's a place many of us can get to without a long trip. I'll be at the Top Producer Summit once again, and I hope you'll join me to get the latest tips and trends on critical topics in agriculture. Just go online to register for the Top Producer Summit 2024 in Kansas City. Gary Ridge is the CEO of WD-40. It's a brand just about everyone knows, but many don't know the guy in charge, someone who is a highly sought-after speaker to talk on practical ways we can better lead and work with others. As you'll hear, he's originally from Australia, and not only will you probably enjoy the Aussie accent, but I appreciate his humor and down-to-earth ways to make a difference no matter what we do in life. Talk about how long you've been with uh, WD-40. How did you wind up uh, there? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, started with them in Sydney, Australia in 1987. My dad was an engineer, and uh, when I got offered to go to work at WD-40, I said, what do you think about that, Dad? He said, you can't go wrong with that stuff, son. And he was right. So I uh, moved to the U.S. in 1994, um, got the opportunity to lead the company in 1997, and now uh, the blue and yellow brand with a little red top is in 176 countries around the world. The sun never sets on WD-40. There's lots of squeaks out there for us. Some people may know it, but tell about how we wound up with that name. Kind of an unusual name, but it's commonplace to us today. Yeah, 1953, there was a problem with condensation and corrosion in the umbilical cord of the Atlas Space Rocket in San Diego. The company was called Rocket Chemical Company. And the chemists at that time started mixing up some stuff in their lab. They uh, tried 39 times to solve the problem. They didn't win. I'm so grateful they didn't give up at 39. The 40th one won. Uh, and it stands for WD, Water Displacement 40th Formula. That brand has been around then since 1953. What has made it so strong? Because a lot of brands come and go, but we know that it, we just know that brand. WD-40 is an honest product. Um, you know, People ask me what business we're in. We're in the memories business. We exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes and farms, workshops around the world. It's an honest product. It does what it says it's going to do. Um, we, you know, we go a long way to making sure that we 
deliver above expectation performance at extremely good value. So I think if you've got a product that lives to its promise and you do it consistently, you survive as a brand and you actually grow. We, uh, we, we, we continue to grow around the world. How do you take a product like that and continue to grow? Because some people say, well, it's been around forever. That might be a, a, a stagnation type of problem, but that's not the case. It doesn't seem with what you're doing. No, it's a very developed product in the United States, but uh, there's lots of squeaks in China and lots of rust in Russia. Um, so we do it that way. But also just recently, the last five years, we've uh, extended the brand too. And we now have a range of products called WD-40 Specialist. So these are the ways we grow the product. We spend a lot of time watching and listening to our end users because we want to keep our promise. We want to help them solve problems. We're in the problem-solving business of our end users. So with that in mind, then, is there a danger that you say, okay, we want to stay up with the times, but we don't want to tinker too much with what is true and tested? How do you balance that in your leadership? Well, the, the original product, the formula is basically the same as it was 53, uh, in 1953. Uh, it, we never patented the product, so it's a trade secret. We have changed some of the delivery system, some of the solvents, to reduce volatile organic compounds. But again, we want to make sure that we're making products that are solving real problems. And um, we spend a lot of time doing it. Our number one value at the company is we value doing the right thing. And we want to make sure that we're delivering best-in-class, safety, environmentally suitable products to our end users. So you are speaking quite extensively. How does the CEO of WD-40 become such a popular speaker, do you think? I have a great face for radio, obviously. <laughs> um, what The biggest thing that's important to me at our company is our people. It's all about the people. And I think it's disgusting that leaders today create toxic environments where 67% of the people who go to work every day hate their jobs. The main reason people leave organizations is because they don't like their boss. And the reason that is is because we create these toxins. I, I developed a, a guy called Al, the soul-sucking CEO, and I talk about him because his behaviors are ones that create these toxic environments. You know, he doesn't involve his people. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. He doesn't know how to say please and thank you. He's not dedicated to helping people step into the best version of their personal self. Our job at WD-40 is, as a leader is to be a learner and a teacher. And most people think leadership is about being in charge. Leadership's not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of the people in your charge. So what we envision is a place where people go to work every day, they make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, they learn something new, they feel safe because they're guided by a set of guiding values and they go home happy. Happy people create happy families, happy families create happy communities, and happy communities create a happy life. Some of these things that you talk about, many people say, well, yeah, that makes sense. So did we lose our way somewhere as we grow older and forget how to treat people, or is it something that has to be taught? Aristotle, the great philosopher, in 384 BC said, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. I would submit to you, we're very, very slow learners. And I guess it's also ego that does a lot. You know, Simon Sinek just released a great book called The Infinite Game, and business is about playing the infinite game, not the finite game. And we've been forced in a lot of ways to be short-sighted in our thinking. 
Al, the soul-sucking CEO, has a cousin. I call him short-sighted Sam. He works on Wall Street. And, you know, it's all about what am I going to get today? So in business, we've got to have more of a long-term view. And that's what we've got at WD-40. We're 66 years old, growing still, and have, you know, continue because it's, a, it's about our people if we treat them right. So, yeah, we, I think we, we just got to be reminded of this. There's another great book written by Robert Fulgram, and it's titled Everything You Need to Know You Learn at Kindergarten. And what does it say? Say please and thank you. Pick up after yourself. If you go out at night, you know, take someone with you to be safe. We've forgotten a bit of this. We can, we, we can do better. Sure. As CEO, I'm sure that you live those principles. Is it also something that you have to consciously teach to those in your organization? And, and if so, how do you do that? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the first thing we talk about is our values. Um, we're a values-driven organization. So, you know, people come to us now to work at our company because they like our values. Remember I said 67% of people hate going to work? At WD-40 Company, 99% of our employees globally say they love to tell people they work at WD-40 Company. We've been measuring this for 20 years, and we take it very seriously. 97% of our people say they believe their values align with the company values. So culture equals values plus behavior times consistency. So you have to have the values, you have to monitor the behavior, encourage the behavior, and you have to do it consistently. So if a person walked into WD-40, into the workplace, what would we see that might be different than, let's say, a, a normal workplace that doesn't function so well? You'd see happy people. You'd be greeted. You'd be treated with respect and dignity. Um, we don't make mistakes at WD-40. We've taken the word failure out. We have learning moments. And a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. So you'd see people in learning mode. You'd see excitement. Uh, the person that you'd, we greeted at at our front desk is called the director of first impressions because their job is to make sure that they welcome you into our tribe. We call ourselves a tribe, not a team. Uh, and, uh, and that's because one of the other great desires people have in life is to belong. You know, people listening to this today, you and I even, have either left a, a, an organization, a meeting, a family gathering, or even a relationship because we didn't feel like we belonged. Why do people leave organizations? Because they don't feel like they belong, because we don't treat them like they're special. They are special. We should treat them like that. Those skills that you put into place, was it something that you, in a sense, grew up with? Is it something that you had to cultivate? How did you begin to learn to use those as CEO and transfer those onto others? Well, I learned a couple of things. Um, you know, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. I was the youngest of a family of four. My mum lived till she was 99 years and nine months old. My dad uh, only had one job in his life at one company for 50 years. So I learned a bit from them. But when I came to the United States in 1994, and then when I became CEO, a few things became really obvious to me. Number one was micromanagement was not scalable. Number two is I learned the most, three most important words in my, in my life, which I've now got comfortable with, which is I don't know. In most circumstances, I'm probably wrong and roughly right. And that showed me how I needed people. And then I went back to school. I went back to, to the University of San Diego and I did a master's degree in leadership. And one of my professors was Ken Blanchard, the one minute manager. Subsequently, Ken and I wrote a book, to, wrote a book together. I was, ended up being on his board for 10 years. But he was really the, the champion of servant leadership. 
And I, after getting my master's degree and taking that learning, I started to play with that in the organization and brought some great people in. And uh, so, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm learning every day. As I say, I'm consciously incompetent. <laughs> well, I am interested because certainly you're here because you've had those successes. But tell me about a time or two where things didn't go well and you, and you learned some lessons that you applied to today. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have is getting this balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. Leadership is a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. And one of the things I have to be careful with, and I have these learning moments all the time, is I could go to either end of that scale pretty quickly. So some of my learning moments is really taking, sh- making sure that I'm conscious about how I'm making decisions. The other learning is, you know, one of the things that, that all leaders or people that are somewhat successful want to do, they always want to win. And Marshall Goldsmith wrote a great book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And, and one of the, 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 those behaviors is adding too much value. So, you know, here we are, we'll be talking about something in the organization. Someone's done a really fantastic job and we just want to add a little bit more. What do we do when we add a little bit more? We reduce the motivation by 50% and don't add value. So, you know, I have to learn to make sure that, you know, that I don't add too much value. I want to let people shine. Uh, the other one, too, is we need to be fantastic listeners. You know, I, I travel about 220,000 air miles a year. I'm out. We're in 176 countries selling our product. I haven't been to all of them, but we have offices in many. I spend a lot of time listening to my people because I, they have the answers. So that's, that's a big learning, too. As, as a CEO, you've got to have what I call bleeding tongue syndrome, which means you're biting your tongue a lot. So when you're up there giving that message, then do you have a place you tell people to start? How do they begin to implement more of what has become commonplace for you in the company? Number one, they have to really be convinced it's all about the people. They have to be prepared to let empathy eat ego instead of ego eating empathy. And then they have to look at the 10 attributes of leadership that I think um, my friend Al does not have any of. Well, he's not my friend. He's very unacceptable. (laughs) So where do you go from here? Do you continue to, to fill this role and continue to share this message and lead WD-40 into more countries and more products? Well, I hope so. Um, I'm really passionate about uh, helping leaders create great cultures because, you know, life's a gift. We shouldn't send it back unwrapped. Let's do some unwrapping in, in, in business. In the second half of this week's show, I talked with Mark Faust of Echelon Management. If you've ever attended a top producer summit, you've perhaps heard Mark speak. He has advised small and large companies in a variety of industries and has consulted with many in the field of agriculture. Mark shared some of his top tips on how we can make better business decisions and effectively lead a team. Here's our conversation. I'd like you to start off by just talking about what are some of the things you see from an outsider's perspective that we as farm and agribusiness owners perhaps don't do so well that we should be thinking about and then we'll get into some of the tools that we can use so even a farm needs to think more strategically uh, most farmers have not one business but but three or more there was a fellow right there that shared with me he had four different businesses but they weren't different P&Ls and they should be they didn't have uniquely identified strategies and they should so each of those business need these businesses need to be managed and innovated differently. So in, in the grain business, and, and the key to strategy is a combination of vision, focus, and divergence. Every business unit needs a vision. Where do you ideally see it in 10 years, three years, but out in the distance enough where it's a dynamically different business? And you want to 
codify that, write that down, share that with everybody that's on your team, all your advisors, the family, etc. For each of your business units, a unique vision. Yeah, you may have an overriding vision for the farm as a whole and all the businesses that are under that umbrella, but a unique vision for each one. Number two, focus. Every business has a unique strategic focus. So in grain, it might be production and getting the production level up to a higher level. That would be a production-focused strategy, or what we call the primary source of leverage is, is getting the most bushel per acre out and, and uh, you know ultimately net return per acre is what you're really going for. But how to, to get the, the ideal net return in grain might not be just more. It might be different. Now, this is where divergence comes into play. So most of the more successful farmers aren't just growing grain and selling it at at the going rate. They're selling a unique type of grain or selling to a unique type of customer or locking in with a unique uh, agreement. I was just working with the largest pork operation in uh, the Midwest, and and their unique approach is that they sell 95% of all their product uh, from their 800,000 sale to one customer. And so that locks in their rate for years to come. Um, they have a unique strength of being able to sell for that one customer other customers to bring into the system. So their unique ability to sell gives them an additional competitive advantage. Um, but, but then they have other businesses. You know, they have a real estate business. And there's a different strategy for that. Um, a trucking business. You know, a trucking business is a production-driven business usually. And when trucks sent empty or half full, there's ways to fill them up. There's ways to end the deadhead. And so that's a different strategy, but run it differently. Come up with that vision. Come up with that unique strategy. And, and just thinking about it innovatively once a month is going to give you a greater return than all those other little tactical things you're doing. So strategic thinking is something that every business, but especially agriculture, needs to do and more of. Now, you asked about decision-making. Mm-hmm. So. Um, one of the tools we brought out that was very well received here the last couple of days was um, what's actually referred to as uh, a, a decision approach that has has more to do with leadership behavior than just dis- the, the, the how of the decision making. It's more about the who. And so um, there was research done back in the 60s and 70s by Dr. Victor Vroom of Yale University. He has validated scientifically that if you use the right leadership behavior in executing a decision, your success of uh, that decision will likely be 80% or higher. If you use the worst of the five approaches, it is likely that you will fail in that decision 80% of the time. So the five approaches are this, and and they're all labeled to kind of explain what they are, but the A1 is alone you act on your own to make the decision you don't need any additional information you have all that you need you just need to make the decision so that's the a1 approach and for some decisions it's appropriate other times you need additional information from people so it's a2 but you don't tell them what the decision is it could be in regards to hiring or firing somebody but you don't want to tell the person why you know you're asking so that you you don't want biased information so a2 is appropriate at times Now, C1 and C2 are when you're consulting with others, but you're telling them the decision. So C1 is where you're consulting with one person at a time. You're asking them for information in regards to this decision, and they're going to give you informed, insightful uh, information because they know what the decision is, and it's appropriate that they know. So maybe it's the boss of the person you're thinking about letting go or or moving up or whatever. That would be C1, one at a time. Now, there's other times there's a benefit to having a group 
in front of you and, and them cross-pollinating ideas. And so a C2 approach is where you share with two or more people the decision and ask questions and you listen. But still, in C1 and C2, you make the final decision. So there's four approaches where you make the decision but in very different ways getting information to be more uh, secure you're going the right direction. The final approach, though, is what's G2, the group makes the decision and a democratic approach. Far too many leaders either go to this direction or A1 to an extreme and thus aren't as successful. There are times you need buy-in. There are times you need innovation. There are times there are things you don't know that others need to be involved for that reason to make a more successful decision. So what, what Dr. Vroom proved, if you choose the right approach, A1, A2, C1, C2, or G2, you will far more likely, 80% likelihood of success with your decisions. So what tool can I use to figure out which one of those is going to be my best decision uh, way to process this? You know, it's interesting. There's there's two tools. First of all, if you just look at that ma- you know, matrix of those five choices, mm-hmm. in your gut, you know 90% of the time. So that would be phase one. You know, sometimes you, 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 you have that confidant or a board of advisors you can go to and, and, and talk about this. But you'll know, and you'll pick the right way. The way. Just think about it. The problem is, is too often we think, i got to do this now, or why don't I just give this to the team, and really you should have been – pulling the trigger and it should have been a C2, not G2. The second tool to use, though, is a decision funnel. So there's four main things you need to list out and really analyze. Uh, At the top of the funnel, though, are the musts, the non-negotiables. In regards to the options of any decision, you want to list out what are the musts, the things that we must have or can't tolerate, whatever it may be. That's going to limit uh, and eliminate some of the unnecessary options you have on the, 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 the list. Then the once, prioritize your once. That's going to bring the funnel down even tighter to fewer options. And and once you've analyzed your, your musts and once and you've prioritized the once and kind of weighted them somewhat, uh, you, you'll be down to a finer set, a smaller set of, of options. Now comes the decision uh, time. And the final little analysis is, uh, analyzing and quantifying the risks, the potential risks, and the potential rewards. And so to make a decision more rationally, you want to think about what are all the possible risks and their impact to our organization if, if things go awry. So on a scale of one to five, one being, you know, few to nobody will even know about the problem that has come about, and, uh, you know, that's no big deal. A negative three might be, you know, the, the entire organization knows about it. Uh, it affects our morale, but we'll still work out of it. A negative five might mean you're on the front page of a business new paper. On the positive scale, uh, a positive one might be there'd be a small benefit. A uh, positive three might be that the, the, this will add, you know, significantly to our profitability. Uh, but a positive five might be an industry-changing result. And so if you do an analysis, the risks are no more than negative three. That's still considerable. But the, the rewards are positive five. You're talking about an industry game changer. That might be worth taking the risk. That's probably a C2 and involve the team and make sure they're all on board. And uh, odds are even if you hit rough waters, you're going to be able to, to, to keep them uh, you know, bought in and, and helping to work your way back to safer water. You mentioned the books there. They're bestsellers, and you've got so much that we can't get it all, of course, in this interview. But how's the best way for people to find those resources or find more about what you're doing and what you're teaching? The the easiest uh, website address for me is growthorbust.com. 
and you can get a hold of me there, and I'll actually get you any of these tools. And 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 with with owners and CEOs, we we always usually do a, a complimentary visioneering exercise because there there are literally dozens of tools we've accumulated in thirty years out there that. Um, Whatever your problem is, there's something out there already that you know is uh, a proven way to, to to get over that hurdle. Uh, but I would wrap up with this: the other thing that too few people do effectively who who run a business is visioneer, and just even 45 minutes on a, a virtual call, um, building a mind map of what you think that the future potential could look like if all the stars align along with a, a brief list of what the top constraints to your getting there are, along with a couple of the next most important actions to take. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, that, that basically has, has fueled my business growth by just having that conversation and uh, something we're willing to do with, with anybody that, that's leading and uh, employing people and, and needs to grow their business. Mark's website again is growthorbust.com. And he's on the agenda for the Top Producer Summit in Kansas City this February. Thanks for joining me on this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in Farming the Countryside or American Countryside. And thanks for joining me this year on Farming the Countryside. We look forward to a great 2024. Be sure to be in touch and share your topic ideas as well. I always enjoy hearing from others. And wish you all the best in this new year. Thanks for joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by the Top Producer Summit held February 5th through 7th in Kansas City. Register now for a schedule packed with the nation's top farmers and leaders speaking on important industry topics. All of the 2024 Top Producer Summit in Kansas City.